Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and you're listening to the Unchangeable Truth Podcast. Today, you're listening to Pastor Stephen's sermon coming out of Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, and it's titled, What is Real Love? You may have heard the story uh, about this young man who received a text message from his ex-fiancee who had broke off the engagement several months before. Here's what the text message said. Dearest Jimmy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I have felt since breaking our engagement. Please say that you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart, so please forgive me. I love you, I love you, I love you. Yours forever, Tiffany. P.S. Congratulations on winning the lottery. (laughs) Well, I don't know that you'd call that real love. I mean, that's the love of something, right? But not real love. Uh, What we're going to do today is we're going to talk about real love. What is real love? We're in week uh, 46, going verse by verse through the book of Romans. It's a series that I've entitled A Life Transformation. Because over and over again in the book of Romans, it is saying that when you come to know Christ, when you surrender control of your life to Christ, we would say when you are born again, miraculously saved, there is a transformation that is going to take place. That you will become a different individual than you were before Christ. We've come to Romans 12, and for the last several weeks, Paul, the guy who through the, you know, the Holy Spirit speaking to him, writing this down, Paul has been conveying, saying, hey, listen, We're all a part, for those of us that are in Christ, we're all a part of the body of Christ. That you may be the hand, you may be the foot. Remember, if you were here, you might be the little toe, you might be the big nose, but we're all different parts of the body of Christ. That you need me and I need you, and that God has brought us together collectively as the church here at Highland Park Baptist because God wants to use the uniqueness of how He has created us to accomplish something that otherwise would not be accomplished if we did it on our own. And that is ultimately for him to get great glory. And so that's what Paul's been saying. We're a part of the body of Christ, that there is no individual member that is more important than the other. And then last week, he's like, let me tell you how God has gifted you as you carry out your calling As you, remember what we said last week, as you kind of played the instrument that you play to help the band make beautiful music. And so last week, he's like, spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts, that anybody who knows Jesus as Lord of their life, not only do you have a spiritual gift, but you may have more than one spiritual gift. And then now today, he's like, oh, 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 hang on, let me help you understand the more excellent way. Let me tell you what takes preeminence. Love. 
Now you can exercise spiritual gifts all day, but if those gifts are not based in the love that Christ has called us to, it's for nothing. So with that being said, let's look today at his next big subject, love. Romans 12, look in verse 9. In Romans 12, verse 9, and we'll look at two verses today. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. So again, up to this point, spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts. He comes to verse 9. I show you the more excellent way. The greatest of all these is love. How do we find out what real love is? He gives us in these two verses four characteristics of real love. The kind of love that God calls you to as you are his child. The first one is, real love demonstrates sincerity. It demonstrates sincerity. Now, our English word sincere, it actually comes from two Latin words, sine, seri. Those words mean no wax. No wax. You're like, yeah, that's exactly what I thought. (laughs) No, you didn't. It makes no sense. No acts. What do you mean by that? Well, here's what happened. That back in ancient times, the potters would be making pottery, and if a crack formed in the pottery, or there was an imperfection in the pottery, or maybe a little hole or something like that, they would take wax, hot wax, they would put it there, they would let it harden, Then we kind of sand it down just a little bit to where you couldn't tell wax was filling the crack or the hole, and then they would paint over it. Then they would sell it. And what would happen is, whenever you would put soap in there, or you would put water or hot water in there, all of a sudden the wax would lose its form, and guess what? The pot would crack, or the hole would give way. It was defective. And so, honest potters, they came along and they're like, hey, listen, man, if we're making a pot and all of a sudden a crack forms, we throw it in the furnace again. We form it again. We start all over. We're honest potters. And so they said, semi seri, no wax. That's how they promoted their goods. We have no wax. You don't have to worry. You're not being deceived here. There is no wax sinicary. And so sincere meant it's good. And when it talks about the love that we as followers of Christ are to have, there should be no cracks, there should be no wax, there should be no phony love. It should be sincere. It should be sincere. Matter of fact, look at what he says in verse 9. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy was a word that was used in the ancient theater. Actors, they wouldn't do a full costume change like we see today when they're going from one part to the other. Instead, they had different masks. 
And so when an actor would play a different part, he would hold up a mask, and then he would play another part, and he would hold up a mask. And it was him not really being that, that, that individual, right? Not really being that person. He was merely acting as though he were that individual. And that's the word hypocrite or hypocrisy. And so our love, he says, should not be hypocritical. Means that you ought not wear a mask. You ought to be sincere in your love. There should be no fake love. That's the more excellent way for those that are in Christ. I'll give you an example. Um, and uh, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm working on this a little bit. But, you know, sometimes a smiling face doesn't even convey what a person is feeling. Um, I've, 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 uh, I've developed a prototype. Well, me and... You know, our, uh, we have an art teacher here at the church, and um, she's been getting ready for VBS this week, and so I kind of explained what I wanted, and she developed the prototype. I'm calling it Smile on a Stick. No, no, serious, seriously now. I'm, I'm making these available in 1995. Operators are standing by. You can go ahead and call 1-800-FAKE-SMILE. Um, now, shipping and handling will come in as well, but... Um, Anyway, please don't call that number. I don't know, I don't know where that goes to. Um, somebody's going to call it. They're going to say, oh, Pastor, you know, no, don't, please don't. Please don't. I don't know. I should have tried it, right? The neat thing about this smile on the stick is this. Let's say that you're driving down 23rd Street and somebody cuts you off. And then you come to stop at the red light and they're right next to you. You reach down, you pick it up, and you're like, You moron, who taught you how to drive? They can't even hear what you're saying, right? They don't even know you're angry or you're mad. You're just holding it up right there. Isn't that cool? That's a, I mean, that's a great, ingenious idea. Matter of fact, Pastor Wayne, all the time, you choir members, you know how he says all the time, why don't you smile? I'm thinking we buy all this for people in the choir. Hold it up right there while you're singing, right? Well, look at them. They're so happy. And, and, and I'm, I'm thinking about this. We're still working on this prototype, you know, for choir members and some other folks that are traditionalists that have a really, really hard time. I'm calling it raised hand on a stick. You know, and all you have to do is hold up the stick and there's a raised hand because you don't want to raise your hand. You know, I, I get that. Oh, was that too far? <laughs> I hurt somebody's feelings on that one. <laughs> Oh my goodness. This is a fake smile, right? That, that's kind of what he's saying here. Our love should be sincere. It should be no wax. It should not be any fakeness there. It shouldn't be behind a mask. It ought to be sincere. And so if your love is full of cracks and wax or behind a mask, that's not the kind of love that God is saying is the more excellent way. That's not the kind of love that God is calling us to. So this real love, it demonstrates sincerity. You're sincere. But then the second characteristic is it is discerning. Real love is discerning. Now discerning means this, that you are able to separate one thing from another. When the Bible says that we are to love, it doesn't mean that we just love everything. That we are to discern that which we love. In fact, look what he says in verse 9. 
He says in verse 9, abhor or hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Hate the bad, cling to the good. Love the good. Matter of fact, the Bible says this over and over again. Listen to what Proverbs 8.13 says. It says, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Now here's where some folks get it wrong. Some folks think that if you're supposed to love, then you don't hate anything. You're not supposed to abhor anything according to what their thought is. Well, that's wrong. It means that if you're a loving person, then you're going to hate evil. You're going to hate pride, right? You're going to hate arrogance. You're going to hate evil behavior. You're going to hate perverse speech. What has happened, and this has even filtered his way into the modern day church, we've conjured up this mushy sentimentality where we feel warm fuzzies about everything and we call it love. Church, that is not real love. Real love recognizes evil and it abhors it. It hates it. And so the problem we have in the culture today is our culture is trying to give us one definition of evil and bad that is different from the Bible's definition of evil and bad. The world pretty much says, doesn't matter what you do, there's nothing wrong or nothing evil as long as no one's hurt. Right? As long as it's between two consenting adults, it really doesn't matter. It can't be evil if no one is hurt. Yet the Word of God says that there are some things that are good and there are some things that are bad. And please hear me, our culture not need, it does not need to be our standard of right and wrong. God's Word needs to be our standard of what is good and what is bad. First of all, we've got to recognize evil, and please hear me today. I'm pointing a finger at you, and you're pointing the finger at me, but listen. Well, not the finger, you're pointing a finger at me. We've got so familiar with evil, and once you're familiar with it, this is the cycle that happens. Once you're familiar with it, you put up with it, then you pity it, and the next thing you know, you're embracing it. There are things that 40 years ago that we would watch on television, or 40 years ago we would watch in the movies that would cause you to get up and walk out of the theater, or would cause you to get up and turn the television off. But friends, listen to me, we accept it today. Why do we accept it today? Because we've gotten used to it. We've seen so much of it, that now we just put up with it. The things that used to shock us just kind of put us to sleep now. The things that used to amaze us, they kind of amuse us today. We've gotten so used to evil that we no longer hate it. And yet the Bible makes no bones about it. We are to hate evil. Before we abhor it or hate it, We've got to recognize it. 
Real love, though, he says, clings to good. So it turns away from that which is evil, and it grabs hold of, and it embraces, he says here, that which is good. Look at the verse the word cling in verse 9. In verse 9, that word clings, it means to stick to like glue. That it is an inseparable bond. I'm going to stick to like glue that which is good. And I'm going to hate that which is evil. I'll give you a modern day example. You know, systematically we work through a book of the Bible. And that's what we've been doing now for several months in the book of Romans. When we came to the end of chapter 1, and when Paul makes no bones about it, that any sexual activity outside of the God-given institution of one man and one woman in marriage, that it is a sin I dared to say what the Bible said. I mean, I I really do. I kind of like being able to say, hey, listen, you know, we're going to do it expositorily. I mean, to me, that's the easiest way to do it. That way I stand and I say before you, if you've got a problem with anything that we've studied today, understand I'm not the one who wrote it. I'm just the one trying to chunk it as close as I can to the doorstep of your heart. But if you get mad, don't get mad at me. And yet, as we were walking through the end of Romans chapter 1, where again, he makes it very clear that any kind of sexual activity outside of a marriage between one man and one woman is a sin, there were folks who got up and walked out. How do I know that? Because they threw it all over social media. And they put the sermon out there and they said, especially listen to it at this point where he says homosexuality is a sin. Now, I didn't just say homosexuality is a sin. I said what the Bible says, that any sex outside of a man and a woman in the institution of marriage is a sin. And so there were folks that... You know, I got on social media, and there's one that, uh, you know, um, uh, I was sick to my stomach. I couldn't listen to it past this point of the message. And, and there were folks that were describing me as they might describe you. They said that I am a hate-filled, bigoted, homophobic individual. Because I dared to say, here's what God's Word says. And there were others that say, you know, that's all he ever wants to talk about. And I'm like, what church do you go to? <laughs> no, we deal with it as Scripture deals with it. And it's not a thing where we sit here and we are casting stones at merely the sin of homosexuality. I'm telling you this, God hates all sin. My prayer and my job as your pastor is to get you likewise to hate all sin. And while the sin of homosexuality may not be the sin that you struggle with, I'm telling you we're to hate all sin. And just recently I heard someone say, because the Bible says we're to love everyone, that means that we're to accept all kinds of behavior. No, friend. No, friend. The Bible says that 
it is wrong and evil and the most loving thing that I can do is to say this behavior is sinful, this behavior is wrong. God has a better way. God loves you. I love you and I want you to know and live the better way. And there are folks that will say, how in the world can you say that? That is such an unloving statement. We'll look at verse 9 again. I didn't write it. Verse 9 again. Real love abhors that which is evil. You cannot read the Bible without saying that any sexual activity outside of the institution of marriage between one man and one haven, one man and one woman is wrong. You can't read it. Well, that's just your interpretation. No! It's not my interpretation. And then there are folks, there are folks, and it's amazing to see how it goes. Okay, we're exposed to it, and, and, and then all of a sudden we start accepting it, and then all of a sudden we pity it, and then all of a sudden we embrace it. Hear me, I'm talking more than just the sin of, sin of homosexuality. I'm talking all sin. And recently I've, I've heard folks say something like this. Well, that's just your interpretation. Or the Bible has been messed up down through the ages. That there, there are people who messed up the Bible. There are people that did not interpret it correctly. Uh, there's even uh, one that I read where someone said, hey, in 1946, when this particular translation of the Bible came out, they messed up because they chose to use the word homosexual instead of uh, what they would say is pedophilia. Friend, listen to me. If I sit there and I believe, and here's what I'm going to tell you, and if I'm wrong, I'm telling you, I'll, be, I'll have to be giving an account to God himself. If I believe that there's any part of Scripture that has been in error, if there is any part of Scripture that man has polluted, that man has taken advantage of a sovereign God, I'm not going to embrace parts of that Scripture. I'm throwing all of it out. Because now all of a sudden I'm going to be like, well, maybe Jesus is not the only way. Maybe somebody perverted that. Do you see how this happens? And while I say that, please hear me. You and I are called to love every single sinner of which you and I are a part of the group. Man, our country mm, is adrift without a moral anchor. And until we get back to the Word of God, we're going to get further and further away from the best standard, which is God's standard. Hear me. I and you are called to love people that are involved in sexual immorality. 
We are called to love everybody. Why? Because Jesus Christ loves everybody. But we are not called to condone any kind of behavior that is outside of the God-given standard that He has set in His Word. And I would say to you, the highest form of love is to say, hey listen, I'm a sinner and you're a sinner. I'm not condoning my sin and I'm not condoning your sin, but can I tell you of one who knew every single sin that I would ever commit and I surrendered my life to him and he has now transformed me not into perfection but he has transformed my desires he's transformed the way I think he's transformed the way I speak right can I share with you of the one that will deliver you from your sin it's not popular but it is absolutely biblical and folks say, well, why do you have to be so angry when you talk about it? No, please hear me. Don't, don't misunderstand my passion for anger. I'm heartbroken. Oh, I'm angry. I'm a little ticked off, but not, not at the sinners. I'm ticked off at the father of lies. The great deceiver that will cause people to justify a sinful behavior and a sinful life and separate them from Christ. Mm. Let's move on to three before I get more passionate. Real love demonstrates sincerity. Real love is discerning. Number three, real love does something. It It doesn't just say, I love you. It means this. It means that you are willing to get down where somebody needs help and you help them. It's the kind of love that doesn't merely just come from the mouth. It's the kind of love that comes from the heart. Listen to what 1 Peter says about this. This is in chapter 1, verse 22. It says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers... Love one another deeply, not from the mouth, but from the heart. And one of the problems that we have when it comes to us understanding the kind of love that it is talking about here is, unfortunately, in the English language, we only have one word for love. It's the word love. For instance, I can say I love steak. And I can say, I love my wife, Jennifer. Surely you understand, I don't mean it in the same way. Yet I only have that word to convey, yet what I'm conveying is in no way the same thing. Well, in the languages in which the Bible was written, there are many words for love. Four of them I want to point you to. The first one is the word eros. And eros means a romantic love. A romantic love. We get our English word erotic from the word eros. You'll not find the word eros one single time in the New Testament. It was in the Old Testament, but they perverted it so much in their erotic behaviors that it's not even found in the New Testament. 
Now, there is a form of the word eros that is found in the New Testament, and it's the Apostle Paul, the same guy who writes Romans, and he writes this in Galatians 6.14. He says, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world was crucified, and I unto the world. (coughs) Excuse me. Here's what he was saying. He was saying, now that I've come to Christ, now that I've surrendered my life to the Lordship of Jesus, you and I would say, now that I am saved, my passionate love for the world has been crucified. My passionate love for the world is dead. My romantic fascination with the world is dead and gone. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. That's the only time a form of that word appears in the New Testament. But then secondly, we have phileo. Phileo means friendship. It is a camaraderie kind of love. We often call phileo brotherly love. In fact, if you look there in verse 10, where it says, with brotherly love, it's a combination of two Greek words, phileo with the Greek word adelphus. It's for brother. Philadelphia. It means what? The city of brotherly love. That's what Philadelphia means. Now, some of you would be quick to say, I've been to Philadelphia. It is not the city of brotherly love. I didn't say it was. I'm just saying that's what it means. And especially you cowboy fans. No, it is not the city of brotherly love. The third word is the word storage. Storage means this. It means affection towards something or someone. It's a general word of the affection that a mother would have for her child. They would also use it uh, for the uh, affection of a person for a pet. The affection that a person may have for their favorite piece of clothing. That's the word that we would use today when we said, uh, I love steak. That means this, I have an affection toward that food. So the word storage, it only appears one time in the New Testament, and here it is right here in verse 10. You see the word affectionate there. Be affectionate to one another. That's storage. Be affectionate to one another. That means that you and I, as followers of Christ, are to have the the, the kind of affection toward one another that we say this, I like you. I like being with you. I, I like everything about you. But then the fourth word, and this is the supreme kind of love, it's the godly kind of love, agape. Agape is unselfish love. Agape takes the focus off of yourself, and agape places the focus on the other person. With eros, with phileo, with stores, the affection is on you. For instance, I love you romantically because of what you do for me. I I love you as a brother because I know that I can call you any time, day or night, and you'll be there and you'll, you'll, you'll help me. I love this food. Why? Because of when I eat it, how it makes me feel. That's not agape. Agape is totally unselfish. 
All the other forms turn inward, yet agape turns outward. And agape says, I love you because of who you are. And listen, and not because of what you can do for me, but because of what I can do for you. You're like, why are you spending so much time talking about this? Well, I'd say it this way. If it were easy to love people, you think God would have given us so much information about it? It's not. It's not easy to love people. Matter of fact, you might even sit there and say, well, there are some folks that are unlovable. We all agree, we all know that there are some people that are easy to love. And then there are other people that are um, easier to love. Let me just say it like that. You kind of know what I'm talking about, right? But as you follow the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, it'll come out of you. And you'll even love those that you may think are unlovable. How in the world can we love those that are unlovable? I would say the very way that God did it. The Bible says this, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now I want you to stop and think about that. This is the very way that we're to love other people. Do you know what Jesus did? Jesus was spirit. Jesus was truth. And then he came down and he put our flesh on him. Right? He came down and he put on skin and bones. That here's Jesus. God loves us so much that he sent his son. And so Jesus left heaven. Jesus put our humanity on himself. And I would just say that's a great example of how we're to love other people. We take their humanity upon ourselves and we say this I love them and if I were them how would I want to be loved and then that's how we love them that's what we do for them unselfish love does something unselfish love does not just say I love you and it stops right there I'll share a true story with you Several years ago, there was an elderly lady by the name of Eleanor Bradley who was shopping one afternoon in New York City on Fifth Avenue. There were thousands of people that were going everywhere, up and down the streets, in and out of stores and shops. And as Eleanor was standing on the curb, she lost her balance, she fell, and she couldn't get back up. They discovered later that she had actually broken her leg. There she is, this elderly lady. She's halfway on the sidewalk. She's halfway hanging over the curb. And she began to ask someone to help her. Please, won't somebody help me? Please, will you please help me? True story now. She cried out not two minutes. She cried out for not even ten minutes. She cried out not 20 minutes or 30 minutes. She lay there and she cried out for over 40 minutes. Until a cab driver noticed her, pulled up, helped get her in the cab, and then he delivered her to the hospital. There were folks that were walking by her for 40 minutes. There were folks that were stepping over her for 40 minutes. There were folks that were oblivious to the fact that she was even there and she was even in need of help. When I first read that story, here's what I thought, probably like a lot of you are thinking right now, well, that is New York City. That would never happen here in Panama City, Florida. I mean, we're in the South. 
right? We're kinder, gentler. We meet people's needs. Well, here's what I would say. I think that every single Sunday, we come to this place and the same thing happens. Maybe it's not a broken leg, but there are people in this room who have broken hearts and they have broken hopes and they have broken homes and they have broken dreams. You may not hear them cry out with their voice, help me, but if you take the time to look into their eyes, you actually see people who are hurting. People who are saying, I need you. I am hurting. I need your love. I need your acceptance. I just need you to be there. And sometimes we just walk around them. Sometimes we just forget all about them. Can I just say that's not love? That's not unselfish. That's selfish. There are a lot of people out there that are coming to churches, friend. And you know what they're looking for? Love. They're looking for the love of Christ and they're looking for acceptance and they're looking for people to be the arms of Christ and to, to embrace them and to accept them. And listen to me, I'm not saying accepting sin. He's already made that very clear. We're not to accept sin. Hear me. We're not to accept sin in other people's lives and we're not to accept sin in our own lives. But we are to accept people. And we're to love people. Because we are, as the church, the arms of Jesus. Many times what we want to do is we want to give them an encyclopedia of theology. And they just need to be loved. Love does something, right? It's discerning. Love demonstrates sincerity. And here's the last one. It delivers honor. Look in verse 10. In honor, give preference to one another. Now, wouldn't this be a great city and wouldn't this be a great church if suddenly every one of us were more concerned about putting other people in places of honor than trying to take places of honor for ourselves? Wouldn't it be a lot better if we were more concerned with promoting someone else than promoting our own selves? In other words, here's what I mean. Uh, trying to step over everybody else in order to advance ourselves, and instead we ought to show honor and advance the other person. Now, think about the word honor. When you go into a court of law and you address a judge, I believe the proper protocol is yes, your honor, or no, your honor. Some of you are like, well, I've never been there. I don't know. And then there are others of you that are like, oh, I know it all too well. <laughs> when you say yes, your honor, or no, your honor, you're not sitting there and saying, well, I really, really like this person. I really, really care for this person. We're not talking about that at all. In fact, you might feel the opposite of that, but you want to do what's right, and so what do you do? You give you give honor to the judge. It's the same word that he uses right here. You don't have to feel anything towards somebody in order for you to give them honor. 
And that's why this is a good characteristic of love. Wouldn't our marriages be a lot better if we started showing honor to each other? I heard about this group of guys that got together and, you know, just the guys that were there and they were talking about how the husband is to be the boss and men just need to go back and demand that their wives submit to them. And this one guy went back home and then he was talking later to one of his friends and he said, I went back from that meeting. I walked in the front door. I slammed it shut. I pointed my finger at my wife and I said, listen here, from this day on, I'm the boss. You're going to do exactly what I tell you to do. You're going to submit to me whether you like it or not. And he said, she got so upset, I didn't see her for an entire week. And the guy who was telling the story to you said, you didn't see her for an entire week? He goes, that's exactly right. After I told her that I was going to be the boss and she was going to submit herself to me, whether I liked it or not, I didn't see her for a whole week. But after a week, the swelling in one eye went down enough that I could see her. Please hear me, I'm not advocating spousal abuse, okay? Please do not take that from today. And the Bible says, wives, submit. It does say that. I believe the Bible, I believe the Bible teaches that. I believe that is the teaching of God. But I want you to hear me. In my entire ministry, I've never met a Christian wife who had any trouble submitting to her husband when he gave her proper honor. Husbands deliver her honor. That's what it says over in 1 Peter. You're to give your wife honor as the weaker vessel. That doesn't mean that she is weaker intellectually. That doesn't mean that she is weaker spiritually. He is actually sitting there and saying, in most cases, she's not as strong physically as you are, so you ought to honor her. Treat her right. Elsewhere, the Bible says this, Men, you're to love her the way that Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He died for her. James Dobson, Christian psychologist, says that he believes 75% of marriage problems would disappear if husbands and wives would start showing kindness and honor to one another. Kind of like the elderly couple that have been married for over 50 years. Here's what they said. Love at first sight is easy to understand. It's when two people have been looking at each other for all these years that it becomes a miracle. That's what love is. That's what love is. That love is not a feeling, right? Love is what? Love is a choice. I'm making a decision that I'm going to do that. I choose to love. I'm going to love that brother, right? I'm going to love that sister. Now, I may not like some of the things that they do, but I'm going to love them through the power of Jesus Christ who loves me. Hear me, friend. Jesus said there's only one sign that proves you're a Christian. It's not having a fish on the back of your car bumper. It, it, it's not wearing a cross around your neck. 
It's not even tattooing your favorite Bible verse on the inside of your arm or your ankle. And can I just give you some words of advice? My goodness, quit choosing such long verses. I've decided I'm going to be radical in today's world. I'm not getting a tattoo. I'm going to be radical. <laughs> but if I did get one, I'm thinking Jesus wept right there. Jesus wept. I'd be crying when they did it too. Hey, guys, none of those things does it. The kind of Bible that you carry, how big of a Bible that you carry, whether you raise your hands in worship or you don't raise your hands in worship. And I tease about that all the time. I just think this, you ought not get more excited about your ball team than you do worshiping your sovereign God. You act like a fool when you're watching the Seminoles lose. You ought to at least come in here and get a hand up for Jesus. None of those things. He says there's only one sign that proves you're a Christian. It's love. If you have love for one another, then the world will know you are my children. And the greatest testimony of any life is the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ can take a nobody that is so self-centered, a nobody that doesn't even notice people that are hurting, a nobody that is full of hate and full of anger and full of disdain, and all of a sudden Jesus gets a hold of them. And they start looking at the world with unselfish eyes. And they quit focusing on themselves. And they love. And he has a way of taking nobodies, right? And turning them into somebodies. When people look at somebody like that, here's what they say. That old boy right there has changed. There's something different about her, isn't there? My goodness, I mean, it's just not even the way she talks or the actions that are different. Just, they just seem something different. Just her air. The way she carries herself, it's, it's, it's different. And the greatest testimony is when they say, I'll tell you what, I don't know what happened to that old boy right there. But what's happened is something only God could do. Boom. Praise you, Jesus. And he gets glory. Because he takes this old messed up life and he transforms it. So I want to ask you this question as we close. Has your life been transformed? Have you been changed? The old country preacher used to say it this way. No change, no Christ. I think Paul's already made the argument pretty clear. It is impossible to remain as you once were if you've given your life to Jesus. And we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about transformation. It means this. I've been noticing I don't talk like I used to talk. I've been noticing I'm thinking a little different than I used to think. I've been noticing... I'm a little bit more forgiven than I used to be. 
Can I tell you what happens before you notice it? Others notice it. What in the world has got a hold of you? Well, it's not what, it's who. But friend, if you look at your life and you say, you know what, there's been no change. There's no difference in my life than the life of the individual who has no time for God. The individual who mocks the things of Christ and mocks the church. Yeah, there's no difference between me and them with the exception of, I just kind of show up at church for a few hours every week. Then you've got every reason in this world to be concerned. Because you will. You will change when Christ takes control of your life. Now here's the good news. He'll start that process today. If you'll just turn to Him. There might not have been anybody that knew that you were coming to church today. I don't know, maybe you came today for who knows, any. Numerous reasons that you could have come, but I can tell you there's one that wasn't shocked that you were here. And he's the one, the only one, that can change you. His name's Jesus. Has Jesus changed your life? If not, doesn't matter how much you know about him, doesn't matter if you celebrate Easter and Christmas, doesn't matter if you listen to K-Love on the radio, Don't put your faith and hope in anything else except Jesus has come into my life and he is transforming me. Hey guys, this is Stephen Kyle and I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today, Unchangeable Truth. Uh, This is a ministry of Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida. And we would love for you to visit us if you ever find yourself in the Panama City area. Our address is 2611 Highway 231 North. You can also learn more about our church and its ministry by going to our website, www.highland, and it's H-I-L-A-N-D, park.org. There you'll learn more about what we believe, what we teach, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There'll also be a sermon archive there so you can go and listen to various sermons over the last several years. As always, we would love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So feel free, shoot us an email, info at highlandpark.org. If you'd like to learn more about Jesus and what it means to follow him, Our prayers are that you would draw near to Christ, that this podcast would be used to point you to Jesus and to help your faith grow and your walk increase. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening.